listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the life of Christ in the Gospel of Luke. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. If you are a man, woman, boy, or girl, and you are truly surrendered to God, truly desiring to move with Him, truly desiring to build the only kingdom that's going to endure forever, you're going to be opposed. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when and how. Sometimes opposition comes from people, within and without. Sometimes opposition comes from wicked spirits, evil spirits that seek to harass and hinder the work of God. And once you have an encounter with an evil spirit, with a wicked spirit, with a demon, you will never, ever forget it. A number of years ago, I was on a train traveling across the country, and I was in the the car, the cafeteria car, where you can eat and relax and unwind a little bit, and I was in that car fishing. I had my Bible open. As I often do in public places, I'll have my Bible open and I was doing some journaling, but have my Bible open on purpose to perhaps see if there was anyone, anybody that might see me reading the Word of God and have a particular interest. It's a good thing for you to do, not because you're trying to be a hypocrite and do works of righteousness out in the open, it's because you're trying to evangelize, right? I said, you're trying to evangelize, right? You're trying to put the line in the water, so to speak, to see if there's anybody who's nibbling, anybody who's interested and hungry in God. So I have my Bible open, and I was reading it, and I was doing some journaling, looking at some of the scenery as the train car was speeding at probably 80 miles an hour down the railroad track, looking at all this beautiful scenery as I was in the Midwest. And as I was there for a number of minutes, probably maybe 30, 40 minutes, had my head down as I was writing something, looking at the scriptures and writing and contemplating and praying. And I heard a commotion in the front of the car and I looked up and there was a group of three or four people that had stumbled into the car and made quite a commotion. Well, as I looked up, one of those people turned their gaze right to me and we locked eyes just for a moment and I knew that there was trouble coming my way. I just knew it, something deep down inside of me, that I knew that there was trouble coming my way. And the man locked eyes with me and came marching right toward me as he left his three or four traveling companions beside, way in the dust. He came marching over to me and says, hi, I noticed that you're reading the Bible there. I said, yes, I'm reading the Bible. Are you a Christian? Yes, I am. I hope you'll fall. Whoa, nice to meet you too. <laughs> and then he became completely polite and docile. Oh, hi, I, 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 you seem like a very nice guy and you're reading the Bible. I used to read the Bible myself too. It's such a wonderful book. It's an interesting book, isn't it? it talks about God's word and what God's doing and how he moves. I really enjoy the Bible. And then completely changed his personality grinding his teeth as his eyes turned black. Kid you not. And as he ground his teeth, he sneered at me and said, I hope you fall. Christians, I hate Christians, and I hope you fall. 
I immediately realized that this was not just a mere mortal I was dealing with. This was a man who was demonized, who had a spirit that was unclean, controlling him, influencing him. And it wasn't him speaking, it was the spirit speaking through him because, again, he became docile and kind as his eyes returned to normal. And he began tearfully to tell me how he cared about me and he was concerned about me and how he used to read the Bible. He would go back and forth and then the sneering would come. This happened about a half dozen times back and forth until finally I realized enough. And I put my hands up and I said, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you. And the man stammered seemed to come to his senses and he said oh I hope you don't fall you seem like a really nice guy and then he went back one final time into his demeanor his demonized spiritual rage and he said I can read the future I can tell the future and you're going to be tempted in the future and you're going to fall more than 20 years ago that event happened on the train I just happened to be coming back from a significant spiritual time in Oregon of all places. Yes, spiritual things happen in Oregon. I was coming back from this awesome time, mountaintop experience spiritually where God was moving. And this is the situation that we often see in our lives and in scripture where God is moving. The enemy is opposing. Turn with me in our Father's word to Luke chapter 4. Beginning in verse 31, Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 31. If you have a smartphone or a tablet, a pad of some sort, you can follow along using the God Factor app. Just click on the Bible tab and you can follow along with me. Verse 31 of Luke chapter 4. He, Jesus, went down to Capernaum, the city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And reports about him went into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. And Peter saw this as an opportunity for his revenge. That's a joke. I want to make sure you pay attention to what I'm saying here. Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them. And would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the, the Christ or the Messiah. Jesus has just come off the heels of being in Nazareth, his hometown, where he was rejected, 
Remember, they wanted to throw him off a cliff. His own people had rejected him, but now he goes to Capernaum. And the people are having some sense a similar response, and in some sense a different response. Jesus goes there into Capernaum. And he's teaching on the Sabbath, which as we see in the scriptures was Jesus' custom. He would teach on the Sabbath, and he would go into the synagogue, and he would do some teaching. Now, something should strike us right out of the gate here. The response of the people obviously caught the attention of Luke. It should catch our attention today. What Jesus was doing stood in stark contrast to the teachers of the day. Not unlike what's happening today in our world in the United States of America. Did you know that there are more churches being planted in the United States today than at any other time in her history. More churches being planted today in the United States than at any other time in her history. Yet, do you see the moral fabric of our country changing significantly? No. It seems as if someone has put the pedal to the metal. We are racing down the road of immorality, of unspirituality, of selfishness, of self-centeredness. It seems like it's, people are bent on doing ministry without qualifying the kind of ministry that should be happening. It's all about the quality of the ministry, not the quantity of the ministry. It's all about the quality of our ministry, not the quantity of the ministry. In Jesus' day, there were boatloads of teachers, boatloads of preachers. Mark chapter 1 verse 22 says this, Mark chapter 1, verse 22, similar passage. They were astonished at his teaching. The word astonished means astonished. Causing the jaw to drop. Getting complete enraptured attention. Astonished at his teaching because he taught with authority. Look what it says. And not as the scribes. A complete contrast between the way that Jesus was teaching and the majority of people who were teaching during Jesus' day. You see, these people who were teaching the timeless, matchless, impeccable, priceless word of God had fallen into a rut. It had become a ritual. It had become the hired hand thing to do. You taught the word of God, you got paid for it. And they had lost their passion. They had lost their zeal, appropriate zeal for God. But more importantly, they had lost their authority. They had lost their footing of standing on the word of God. Do you know that if you're in the ministry and if you are a Christ follower, you are in the ministry. It's a matter of the quality of your ministry. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a minister for Jesus Christ and you are called to minister with authority, authority for the glory of God. And that authority comes in direct proportion to whether or not you are standing on the word of God. It is the word of God that gives us the authority to be able to preach and teach about the kingdom of God. And today, just like in Jesus' day, there are people speaking, teaching, preaching. If you're listening by podcast, you might be an elder of a church or a pastor or a teacher. 
And you've lost your zeal for the Lord. You're teaching and preaching your own inclinations of your mind. You're giving motivational speeches. My goodness, how low we stoop. We don't need motivational speeches to change people's lives. We need the word of God taught and preached. That's our problem in this country. We think that we have something to say that's more significant than the Word of God. Can you think of anything more powerful than the timeless, matchless, powerful Word of God? The scribes were not standing and teaching the Word of God anymore. They were teaching, preaching, espousing the theological views of whatever rabbi they were following and they had lost their authority they had drifted from the word of god you know anybody who's drifted from the word of god if they have you might find yourself in that position today whenever you drift from the word of god you're going into dangerous territory where you're no longer operating on the authority given by god jesus taught as one with authority authority and it astonished the people they were blown away their mouths hanging open they had not seen this type of teaching from somebody and in matthew chapter 5 we get a taste of what it would be like to be a fly on the wall to hear the teaching of jesus matthew chapter 5 turn with me in our father's word beginning in verse 17 Here's a taste of what it meant, what it looked like for Jesus to teach as one who had authority. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Notice the I statement. Verse 18, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, referencing the Hebrew language, where you can change the whole meaning of a word by forgetting a dot or iota. Not an iota or a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. What Jesus is saying, I say to you. Therefore, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Who are you? To be telling people who qualifies and is disqualified for entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Verse 21, you've heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council or the Sanhedrin. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother. See, you've heard me say it before. Reconciliation is not important to the gospel. Reconciliation is the gospel. Oh, how our group services in the body of Christ would be completely transformed if we would take Jesus' teaching to heart and put it into practice. We would see such a mighty move of God that we would move from the realm of having a form of godliness and denying the power of God to experiencing the godliness that unleashes the power of God 
Reconciliation is not important to the gospel. It is the gospel. And if we're going to try to worship the Lord and come close to him in intimacy, there's got to be closeness horizontally in our relationships with other people. This is what Jesus is teaching. Teaching as one who had authority. Who else could do that? No scribe could do that. No scribe could say, I say to you, an equal footing with the Old Testament. Jesus is repeatedly, continually, verse 26, saying, I, 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 truly, I say to you, you'll never get out until you have paid the last penny. Even verse 27, you heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you. Hmm. Verse 31, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce, but I say to you, the I statements by Jesus very clearly, unapologetically, helping us understand that Jesus taught with authority. It caused people to just be mesmerized. This man is not teaching like the other teachers of the law. He is saying, I, I, I. He's teaching with authority, credibility. He is teaching and preaching the word of God, applying it to our lives here in the here and now so that it's relevant to us. And the people are mesmerized. They're captivated. Jesus taught as one with authority. And if we would take note of how Jesus is teaching in our church, Churches in this country and around the world, and we would begin to elevate the Word of God instead of our own teaching, we would see God show up in ways that we keep praying He would show up. We keep asking God in the greatest sense of irony possible. We ask God to move, to show up, send it all down, Lord, send it all down, Lord, send the Holy Ghost, send it down. We pray about that, we sing about that, but we have to have a hunger and a passion that that actually is what we really want. There is no authority that any teacher today has apart from the word of God. There is no authority that we have unless we point people to the one who taught with authority. Absolute authority, Jesus Christ. And this is a book of contrasts. Where the work of man is being contrasted with the work of God. The work of Satan is being contrasted with the work of God. The move of God is being contrasted with the ways of the world and the direction of the world. It's not that there's a serious competition here for Jesus. There's serious competition for us because we have to make up our minds about who we're going to partner with. Who are we going to join? In whose power are we going to try to build the kingdom of God? God doesn't need our power. He doesn't need our wisdom. He doesn't need our strength. He doesn't even need your money. If you're not willing to offer God all of yourself, God will find somebody else who is. You don't have to follow God. I don't have to follow God. You get to follow God. While there's still time. Notice here, verse 33, Luke chapter 4. 
And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. Now, interestingly enough, Luke uses a strange phrase there that we don't find relevant and pertinent today. The spirit of an unclean demon. Well, all demons, we would say, would be unclean. And all demons, we would say, would be spirits. But in that day, when Luke was writing, this is, again, credence to the fact that Luke is writing a historical account that's credible, authentic for the time in which it was written. It's not something that's to be taken symbolically or metaphorically. In that particular time, a demon could have been considered a demagogue, somebody who had power, and there was a mystery about what that demon actually was. Well, Luke is defining for us what a demon is, the spirit of an unclean demon, so that there can be no question about this being a righteous spirit or a good spirit, a contrast between the Holy Spirit, remember Jesus is the one who's filled with the Holy Spirit, sent by the Holy Spirit, What does it look like when a person is filled with the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit? We're getting an idea of what that looks like. It means that you are headed for opposition. You need to know how to handle the opposition. The Almighty Son of God is headed toward opposition. So this is the spirit of an unclean demon, a wicked spirit, appropriately translated. But did you notice what's said there in the beginning of verse 33? And in the synagogue, there was a man. <laughs> Wait a second. The synagogue is the place where people are worshiping and trying to get taught about the things of God. What's a demon doing in the synagogue? The same thing that demons do in churches. See, a number of years ago when I was pastoring a church, I made the mistake of getting a little bit too close in a leadership level. I want to make sure that you understand what I'm saying at a leadership level. With an older woman who presented herself as being very spiritual. And so I allowed her to get engaged and involved in different aspects of the church ministry only to find out the hard way that she was one of the most controlling people I had ever encountered in my life. And only to find out the hard way down the road that the reason why she was so controlling is because she was a witch. She was a witch. Not the kind you see on Disney programs. So oftentimes we make the mistake thinking that the enemy is going to operate in the bars and the nightclubs and the down and out parts of the world, the parts in third world countries where, you know, Haiti and remote parts in the Solomon Islands or in Africa. That's where we would expect demonic activity. Would you wake up, please? In the synagogue is where the man is with the spirit of an unclean demon. I have found in more instances than one that some of the most difficult problems spiritually, spiritually are not outside the walls of the church, but within. And this is why we need to be especially careful about being hasty in the laying on of hands for any type of leadership position. Most of the lessons I've learned in life, I've learned through failure. I just shared one of them. I've been spanked multiple times because I did not do things according to the authoritative word of God. And I'll bet some of you have a story or two about that as well. 
there's always discipline for disobedience. Always. We need to be especially careful about being hasty in the laying on of hands. You know, there are people in the church who mean well. Maybe they don't. Maybe what is being presented as, well, we just have a difference of opinion, is not just a difference of opinion. Do you hear what I'm saying? See, I don't know whether or not you are really walking with God. I don't know that. I only know whether or not I am walking with God, and even that is limited in my understanding. I have to have a sober assessment of myself, not think of myself more highly than I ought to, but with sober judgment as Romans chapter 12 verse 3 says. I have to think of myself with an understanding that God knows the real Mike. God knows the real me. He's going to one day judge the secret motives of men's hearts. I don't know the motives of your heart. I don't know why somebody wants to be an elder, why somebody wants to be a deacon, why somebody wants to head up a ministry, why somebody wants to volunteer. There are plenty of people who want to be a big fish in a small pond, although it's hard to be a big fish in a small pond at Grace Fellowship. But there are spheres and circles of ministry within any church where somebody can have control. Somebody can assume control of a ministry. And the spirit of control is the spirit of witchcraft. It's counter to the Holy Spirit. And there are multiple churches that are controlled by a spirit or spirits, attitudes, strongholds contrary to the Holy Spirit. And there's a sense in which without any fogginess about it whatsoever, all ministry is a matter of control. All spiritual warfare is a matter of control. That's what spiritual warfare is all about. Who's going to be in control? And in this particular instance, there is a power play happening right here between Jesus and this unclean spirit. Ha! What have you to do with us? Leave us alone could be another way to translate it. We're doing our thing. We've got territory and ground and we're perfectly happy with it. Who do you think you are coming into our territory and reigning on our parade? We've got control of this man and we are in the synagogue where it's supposed to be a place noted for God and the movement of God. Irony, ironic, hypocritical that the people would even allow. People don't even realize what they're allowing when they are allowing something else other than the Holy Spirit to control a ministry. The ministry will either be controlled by the Spirit of God or it will be controlled by a multitude of other choices. Take your pick. And it is a serious thing for any leader in your household. You better believe that you are responsible. Let me talk to the men for a second. You are the ones who are to be the spiritual tip of the spear in your family. I know that our society is screaming and crying for equality. But you know what? In the book of Genesis, Adam was given the responsibility to name his wife. Naming in the Bible is an, ad, an idea of authority. Whoever 
whoever names has authority over whatever he's naming. Adam was given authority, the privilege, the opportunity to name all of the creatures. God named creation. God named Adam. God is over Adam. Adam names his wife. Adam names the creatures. It's an authority issue. Naming in the Bible is a big deal. Men, you have been given responsibility in your family to be the spiritual leader. People say, well, you know what? That doesn't, that doesn't, that sounds sexist to me. Mike, are you really on this kick that you really believe that men are still to be the leaders of their household? Yes, I am, because the Bible says so. And let me explain this to you. Do you think it's fair that Eve was the one who took the fruit first and sin came into the world through Adam, not Eve? Why did sin come into the world through Adam when Adam took the fruit after his wife? Shouldn't it really be that sin came into the world through Eve? See, don't be a nighttime Bible reader. Don't read your Bible at night, lights off, sunglasses on, and one eye closed and expect to get the whole thing. Read the whole passage of Scripture. The reason why sin came into the world through Adam is because he was the head of that family. He was the one who shirked his spiritual responsibility in watching out for his wife. Yes, his wife took the fruit first, but sin came into the world through Adam, not his wife. You want to talk about fairness? How's that for not being fair? But it is all about authority. There's a reason why in the book of Genesis, this idea of naming happens the way it is. Why God is doing the naming. Why Adam is doing the naming. Why Jacob, which means he grabs the heel, is given a new name, Israel. He turns God's head. He turns the head of God. God gave Jacob a new name when his character, his calling, his position, his work for God changed. God changed the name of Abram to Abraham from exalted father to the father of many nations because God was doing a work whoever is doing the naming in the Bible is the one who has authority over what is being named and what the evil spirit is doing here is he's trying to name Jesus he's trying to continue to have the people fearful of them instead of reverentially fearing God it is significant I know who you are I hey. I'm going to speak first and show these people who they should really fear. Ha! What have you to do with us? Have you come here to destroy us? Notice the plurality. The idea of Jesus coming to destroy the forces of evil. He knows this wicked spirit, this unclean spirit, this demon knows the agenda of Jesus. He knows that he's the one that has come to destroy all of the devil's work. He knows that. And so what does he try to do? He tries to one-up. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. This is a control issue. The evil spirit is trying to show that it has power over Jesus. It's trying to demonstrate to the people who and who they should fear. Because they are trying to keep that man in bondage and everybody else to this idea that evil spirits have tremendous power that they really don't have when you walk in the authority of God. Last week I wrote a letter to somebody who wrote me. They were in prison. And they wrote me a letter. 
And they asked me in the letter, can you tell me if demons have the ability to read minds and predict the future? And so this is in part my response to this person. I said, you asked whether demons can read a person's mind or if they can predict the future. The answer is no. There's no indication in Scripture that they can. In regard to what may be perceived as power to look into the future, the answer is also no. What demons attempt to do is at times masquerade as having powers they do not have so they can intimidate people and still fear and control them. This is often done by fortune-telling for instance, where a statement is made that appears to quote-unquote predict the future, and then demons work overtime to make it appear as if it was a genuine prediction. There's nothing predictive about it at all. It's all done in an attempt to appear powerful, to instill fear, and bring an individual into further bondage by having them follow occult practices such as fortune-telling rather than the Lord. All ministry comes down to an issue of control. Spiritual warfare, in a word, is a control issue. Whether or not the Spirit of God will be in control or something other than the Spirit of God. And Jesus realizes that this, and what is his response? Jesus says, shut up. If you're reading the original language, that's, just, that's how it would come out. Shut your mouth. Verse 35, Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. Jesus demonstrates what we should demonstrate in the ministries that God has given us. We are not to tolerate demonic activity. We are not to tolerate, even for a passing fleeting second, demonic activity because to do so is to flirt with grieving the Holy Spirit. To do so is to allow a spirit other than the Spirit of God to control the ministry. And I'll tell you what, once you give control up in an area of your life to anybody, anything other than the Holy Spirit, you will have hell to pay. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about when I say that. I can tell you of church after church, I have seen pastor after pastor when I was involved in a ministry to pastors that convinced me I should never become a pastor. I have seen pastor after pastor weep. Weep. That means cry with exceeding sorrow. Remorse, regret over giving somebody or something control. Of their church, their ministry, their lives, whether it's in their personal family or whether it's in the the life of the church, the ministries, when they should have been firm like Jesus. Shut up. There's no way you're allowed to say another word. Jesus puts wicked spirits in their place and those of us who are Christ followers should do the same. You don't know the motives of somebody else, innocent as it might appear, dysfunctional as it might appear. Yes, we treat people with kindness, but we also treat the ministry of God with seriousness and firmness. Because there could be something much more serious than simple dysfunction going on. It could be absolutely diabolical. And Jesus teaches us a lesson here that it is a matter of control. And who's controlling in Jesus demonstrates zero tolerance 
for the activity of the devil. And you should too. In your marriage, you should demonstrate zero tolerance for footholds of the devil. Don't give the enemy a foothold into any area of your life because you are giving control in that area. Jesus demonstrates for us that this is not a game. This is not something to be taken lightly. On my smartphone, I have here a list of the top grossing games that can be played. Such as Candy Crush Saga, Clash of Cans, Positive Ratings of Heyday, over 20,000 positive ratings, Megapolis, 2,000 plus ratings, Fast and Furious, 7,000 positive ratings, Minecraft, Pocket Edition, 50,000 plus five-star ratings, multiple games that can be played on a smart device that actually... It's a tremendous amount of money to spend on a smart device to play those types of games. Maybe you, you're old school. Maybe you like Monopoly. Maybe you like Aggravation Trouble. Isn't there enough Aggravation and Trouble in life? <laughs> you can choose your poison today, whether you want to play an old school game or whether you want to be sleek and sexy and play an electronic game. When it comes to the ministry, however, it's not a game. Nothing to joke around about, nothing to laugh about, nothing to tolerate because the ministry is all about the control of God, the kingdom of God. When we play games, if we ever find ourselves playing games when it comes to this idea of ministry and how we do ministry, we will be spanked. Jesus is demonstrating absolute zero tolerance for the activity of the enemy. And those who are followers of Jesus Christ would be wise, would be mature, wise and mature. I bet there's somebody who wants to be wise and mature, to listen, to observe, to heed, and to follow the way Jesus handles ministry. You know, when we get to this other part here where Jesus goes and raises up Simon's mother-in-law, she's ill, we notice that Jesus has the same approach and attitude toward illness as he does with wicked spirits. Absolute zero tolerance. It's up to God to determine who's going to be healed and how. The purpose of this passage is not to give us a formula for healing, that I can lay hands on people, And automatically, I have the promise that God's going to heal them 100% of the time. People have gotten into deep, troubled waters by looking at this passage of Scripture and missing the point. The purpose of this passage of Scripture is to draw our attention to the identity of Jesus Christ. There was nobody like Jesus then. There's nobody like Jesus now. And only Jesus has absolute authority over wicked spirits and disease. And the people needed to see this. The people needed to know this so that they would recognize who Jesus was. And you might say to yourself, why doesn't Jesus allow the testimony of the evil spirit? That seems kind of strange. That would gain credibility for him. That would add notoriety to him. Do you think Jesus needs the assistance of the devil to do anything? Anything? 
What's being demonstrated here is that Jesus is moving on his terms and his timeline and his timetable in his power the way he wants to. He doesn't need man or demon to help a bit. And neither do you. Because true ministry, when you are truly surrendered to God and truly following God, it is all about the control of the Holy Spirit. Are you a man, woman, boy, or girl who can say with honesty and humility and transparency before God that my life is about the control of the Holy Spirit? This church and those listening by podcast, your church must Be a church that is led by the Holy Spirit. And if that makes a church charismatic or Pentecostal, may God help us. That makes a church biblical. Operating in the authority of the Word of God. Interestingly enough, when Simon's mother-in-law is healed... What does she begin to do in verse 39? He stood over her, rebuked the fever, and it left her. And after several years, she rose and from time to time began to serve, occasionally with a good attitude. That's the reverse standard version. He stood over her, rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Immediately she she rose and began to serve them. When you realize how Jesus has set you free, the right immediate response is, I want to serve Jesus. I want to build the only kingdom that's going to endure forever. It's an opportunity, not an obligation. It's an opportunity. And many in God's house have been waiting years for the skies to part, the clouds to move, a shaft of light to come down for a specific calling. You have the calling of God. It's called deliverance. You've been delivered from sin, the dominion of sin. You've been delivered from the guilt of sin, the punishment of sin because of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And the moment that that happened, take a lesson from Simon's mother-in-law. Does not God have a sense of humor? Using the mother-in-law of a man? Amen Amen indeed. She gets it, why can't we? She gets it, why can't we? The Bible is so clear to understand, even a child could understand it. When you realize that all of your sins, not some, but all of them have been forgiven, when you realize that the Holy Spirit now can have control over you as you surrender to Him, when you realize that God's story can now be your story, and it's not about you, me, myself, and I, it's about the only kingdom that's going to endure forever, Jesus coming back, and in the meantime, we will serve Him joyfully. When you realize that all of your sins are forgiven and it was paid for in full, that leads to humility and that releases us into service. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. Interested in requesting Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking. Mm -hmm.